Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Before we begin, um, just another small announcement. Um, hope it will make it some of you creative, creative ones a bit excited. Um, uh, and you've got to forgive me because um, I was hoping to get some templates, but I forgot. So, um, but what you can do, I'm sure you can just go online. I'm going to get to it in a minute, but I'm sure you, you can go online and just tap in t-shirt or hoodie template and you'll get something online. Now, I'm talking cryptic. Right. My idea is this, and this thing is not very good. Um, I thought it would be good if we had a church competition to design a t-shirt for Calvary Chapel, South London, or a hoodie for Calvary Chapel, South London. So, I mean, consider it's winter time. Um, in the meantime, Tim, do you mind just sorting out that um, stand for me? Because this is just going to go. They're both broken. Okay. Family, you're going to have to bear with me because if this keeps going funny, then I'll have to adjust it. But yeah, um, anybody ex- interested, excited about perhaps potentially designing a t shirt or a hoodie for Calvary Chapel South London, you can submit all of your entries to me. I will be the judge to say yes, 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 no, 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 no. Have I got you excited? Oh my goodness, that doesn't sound... Right, my right side heavy is excited. My left side, are you excited? Okay, we need a few of you to sit over there. Balance this thing out. Anyway, um, next week I will get some templates, photocopies, just a photocopy thing, and then you can just draw in it or wherever it may be, and then we can... Um, go through the process of designing T-shirts and see which one we, as a we as a church, would like to produce and sell and make money. You're getting scared now, are you? <laughs> you, you? You're not sure if you came to the right place today, are you? Now, all right, then, cool. Well, I, anyway, that being aside, um, do you mind if we pray before we look at God's word? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for another day where we can gather as your family, where we can sing praises to your name, Lord, um, where we can have an input into each other's lives. And um, we approach your word this morning, Lord, desiring that you will have an input into our lives. So, Lord, we're expectant. Um, We pray that we are teachable and that um, whatever you decide to, to reveal to us today, Lord, um, that we'll be willing to submit to your word, Lord. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I hope that many of you, as we've been tracking through the book of Ephesians, have, have been indeed doing that. You've been, in over the past, I don't know, two or three months, you probably could have read Ephesians <laughs> 20 times. And so you know exactly where I'm going. Um, <clears throat> and today is an interesting word. It's a difficult word in so many ways, but um, it's God's word nonetheless. And so we continue our study in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and we will begin reading... From verse 1, and um, we'll take it down to, I think, verse 8, which says, uh, everybody has their Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1? Amen? Amen. Okay. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us 
and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness and and all covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Amen? Excuse me. So, as we've been tracking through the book of Ephesians, we've been seeing how chapters 1 to 3 has been specifically talking about doctrine. We've seen how the Apostle Paul now comes to, came to chapter 4 and he basically said, now you know all this stuff. Now you have an understanding of all this stuff. Now you know that you have the Spirit of God living and dwelling within you and has given you the ability to overcome these things. Work it out. Walk in these things. And he presents to us all these practical things which we can do within our daily lives which will prove, it will show evidence that we are children of God. Because Jesus says that we shall be known by our fruit. And if we're not producing any fruit, then the question has to be, are you really a Christian? The question has to be, has there really been any change in your nature? Because if there's a change in your nature, there will be a change in your character there would be a change in your actions there would be a change in the way you live your life true believers of christ they hunger and thirst for righteousness they think differently they act differently they live differently as i've already said they have that desire to want to know more and more about the Lord because they recognize that they have this spiritual man, spiritual person who needs feeding and the spirit, the spirit it feeds off of God's word. Amen? So, as I said, in chapter 4, you know, Paul starts giving these comparisons and he basically says, don't be like that but be like this. Don't walk like that. Walk like this. Don't live like that. Live like this. Do you know what? Don't even think like that. Think like this. And many of the times, many of the time, all the time, it starts with the thought. It's how we think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So, Wrong thinking equals wrong acting, wrong living. Right thinking produces right thinking, right acting, right living. And I say all these things not to say it's easy because the Christian walk is the hardest thing to actually do. People think, you know, when you become a Christian, it's like a cop-out because you don't really want to deal with the issues of life. Well, do you know what? (laughs) You walk the Christian walk. When everything in, inside of you wants to do that, and, you, and the Lord says, no, because that's not my standard. That's not my will. And you fight against those natural tendencies. And so Paul continues this comparison in chapter 5, and he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And I love that because he says, therefore be. If we could just stop there. Therefore be. Be what? Imitators of God. I mean, 
That should be the primary pursuit of every Christian. To be an imitator of God. And the word imitator, you know, comes from the Greek word imitis or imitase as it's pronounced in the Greek. And that's where we get our English word mimic from. That's where we get words like to impersonate or to be a copycat. So Paul's, you know, if you can handle it, Paul's saying, be a copycat of God. Impersonate God. That's the standard. You know, because, and and when he says impersonate God, who's he wanting us to impersonate? Jesus, who is the the image and, you know, we want to be made into his image and his likeness. Jesus is the image of the invincible God, as it says in scripture in Colossians. And so we look at the life and the character of Jesus and we say, we need to be like our Lord. This is how we need to act in situations where it's difficult and really I want to freak out. I want to snap at someone. I want to argue. I don't want to be loving and compassionate. But Paul's saying here, be imitators of God. Be like him. And when he says be like him, you know, what does the scripture say? It says, be holy For I am holy. Wow, well how'd you do that? Be perfect. As Christ is perfect. Be loving. Why? Because God isn't just an aspect of love. God is love. And if we are his children, then we ought to love we, are, we, we should be like him because 1 John 3 tells us that for we shall see him even, even as he is. So it's all about imitating God, imitating Christ Jesus as he is revealed to us in the scriptures. And, you know, just in considering these things, I was just thinking about, you know, imitating or being a copycat or impersonating and I, you know, it just reminds me of when I observe children playing. Now, for parents, you probably, you know, you, this may resonate with you a lot more. But, you know, when you see a child, especially these days, when you can, a child's got like a Batman suit or a Superman suit or, you know, they're one of their, their heroes. And they put on their suit and it's like, as far as they're concerned, in their mind, they are Batman. They're Jack Sparrow, Luke Skywalker, whoever it may be. They get the... Because in their mind, they think they are the superhero. And just considering that, I just thought, well, Jesus, you are our ultimate superhero. And Paul's been saying... Put on Christ. Take off the old man. Put on Christ. And so if you can get it in your mind, like, like a little child putting on a Batman or, or a big S Superman suit, we ought to be putting on Christ to imitate him, to be like him. And again, it's not easy. It's difficult. And we have to first recognize that in order to be like this, we, it's not like we're just going to purpose, you know, I'm going to be like that today. That's a good thought. But we need to recognize that it starts with appropriating God's strength, God's ability, relying upon his spirit. You know, Paul has already said in this epistle, he says that we should be filled with all the fullness of Christ, to be strengthened in the inner man. That's what he's been talking about throughout this whole epistle. You need to be strengthened because, you know, when these things present themselves to you, if you're not strengthened in the inner man, you're going to flop. You're going to fall, and when you fall, you're going to start beating yourself up to say, Oh me, I'm not a good Christian. Woe is me. 
And then you have pity parties and it takes you months just to get back to a place where you were before to recognize, do you know what? Though the righteous falls how many times? They shall what? Arise. They don't stay there. They arise. So we need to be strengthened in in the inner man. Strengthened so that we can walk. Remember, Paul is talking about us walking now. Day to day living. So that we can walk worthy of the call for which we were called. Remember that? To walk in unity. He spent a, a chapter on unity. Us living in unity with each other. Walking and moving in unity so that we can walk in unity. Chapter 4, verses 4 to 16. So that we can walk differently, not as the world walks. Chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. And then in chapter 5, it's like he encompasses it all and says, you know what, bottom line, just walk in love. Because if you are walking in genuine love, all these things will just be a natural byproduct. But we find it very difficult to walk in love. Because of so many different reasons, so many different factors. But the encouragement is to rely upon God. And and when he says this, when, when the apostle is writing this, it's, it's like he's pleading with us. Walk in love. And he qualifies why we should do this. Because he says, as Christ, has, as Christ also has loved us. He's, Christ is the example. Christ has loved us, so we should be walking in love. Christ has loved us and given himself for us. And then he says, as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And what what the Apostle Paul is describing here is that what Christ has done is a complete work. Don't get it twisted. It's complete. And Christ's sacrifice has been received by the Father as a satisfactory, sweet-smelling offering. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, why have you put sweet-smelling offering in there? And the reason is because the Apostle Paul wants us to think back to the Old Testament. He wants us to think back to the book of Leviticus in particular, and the offerings which was instituted by God. And in the book of Leviticus, there were five offerings which God commanded Israel to offer up to him. Two of these offerings were not considered as being sweet smelling because they pictured sin. And these two offerings were the sin offering. And the trespass offering. And when you actually do a study on on these offerings, they speak specifically of Christ becoming sin. And taking upon himself all the trespasses of the world upon himself and presenting it to God. And we see this as, you know, Jesus coming as the lamb. To be slain. Giving himself as a sacrifice on the cross. Even to the point where the father who had never ever been separated from the son throughout all eternity turns his back. Turns his back on the son. Because remember God doesn't dwell where sin is. To the point where Jesus is like, wow, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, however you pronounce it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
So Paul wants us to think about these offerings and Christ's finished work, which he has done. It's a complete work. But beyond that, he wants us to think about the other three offerings, which were sweet-smelling offerings to the Father. Because these offerings spoke of a finished work. And they were the burnt offering, speaking of Christ's complete work as the offering, the meal offering, which spoke of perfection, and the peace offering, which, as it says, speaks of the peace that Christ has made between God and man. And so, the Apostle Paul is trying to draw our attention, he's trying to draw the attention of these Ephesian believers of Christ's complete work. And because he has done these things, it's, it only seems right that we now walk worthy of the call. It doesn't make sense not to now walk as Christ would want us to walk. And it's like, you know, when I was just looking at this, it, it just seemed like the apostle was saying, why would you still want to live with a carnal mind? Why would you still want to act in a carnal way? Live in a carnal way? And so, in verse 3, he begins another series of warnings. And these warnings basically have the consequences that if we do not take heed to them, you know, God will not show any partiality when he's ready to issue judgment and punishment. And when he lists these things, You know, he lists things which, I think he's specifically talking to believers, but he lists things which we as believers, just like anybody else, are just prone to. We're prone to wander and, and, and fall into. But the warning here is that we as believers are to avoid these things at all costs. And what he's actually warning us against here at this stage in chapter 5, is, is against counterfeit love. He's, 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 he's started by saying, walk in love, and describe what love is, to a degree, and now he's saying, beware of this counterfeit love. And, again, if you can think of this when Paul was writing to the first-hand readers in Ephesus, Remember, we spoke of weeks and weeks ago how there was the temple of Diana there. And Diana was the goddess of sex and fertility. And in the, temp in, in the temple of, of Diana, they would, they would persistently and consistently have sex parties. If you can call it a sex party. Orgies. And we can presume presume, maybe, that some of these believers who Paul is writing this letter to perhaps were delivered from that. Maybe they were living that way. Maybe they were acting in that type of perversion. And so Paul, by the Spirit of God, is not holding any punches and he says in verse 3, he says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. You see, as I said before, the thought block is that God's love is genuine love. This stuff is counterfeit love. Because true love gives 
True love is sacrificial. True love is compassionate. But this counterfeit stuff, this worldly love, this fleshly love, it pollutes what is genuine. And so he says, but fornication, and fornication comes from the Greek word pornea, which sounds just like porn. Pornea, and that's where we get the word porn from. And pornography, graphy, I believe, is writing, and so the writing of porn, writing of sex, sex, the writing of sex, pornography. And Fornication is mentioned 35 times in the New Testament. Now, if something, by the law of repetition, if something is mentioned 35 times in the New Testament, I think the Spirit of God is trying to tell us something. You see, it indicates that there was a serious problem then... And I definitely know there's a serious problem now. Fornication. And what does, you know, what does fornication? It covers any sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. Now, I know there's young children in here, and I was going to actually give a warning that, but you know, it is God's word. And we need to teach our children, our young people, God's word. So forgive me. But I'll say it again, fornication is any sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. So it includes casual sex, linking, one night stands, adultery, prostitution, incest, homosexuality. It describes and it is associated with watching dodgy TV channels. Looking at dodgy magazines or visiting dodgy websites. Do I need to elaborate anymore? It covers all those things. And the fact is that in this world system in which we live, sex sells. From cat food to ice cream to JCBs to Ferraris it sells everywhere everywhere we turn there's some type of sexual connotation and you know we are prone just like anybody else if we allow our minds to wander they will wander And the scripture says that we are to take every thought captive. See, we we have to be on our guard. So, you know, know, with, with the whole law, you know, Jesus takes the law that step further when, when he says, it's not if you just do something, it's if you think it, you're guilty of it. And that's deep. So when we're speaking about these things, we can see that, yo, Lord, I, I need your spirit. I need your help. Because I'm subject to these things just like everybody else is subject to these things. And, you know, if we don't take a hold of these, you know, of the thoughts in our minds and everything and go against these things, you know, it just reminds me of um, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7 where he's speaking to... Cain, I believe it is. And he says, you know what? It's like sin's waiting at the door and its desire is to have you. It wants to have you. But God goes on and he says, but you shall rule over it. So God has not left us helpless. You know, I was with my work colleagues this week and I couldn't believe it because they told me 
that there's a 3D film at the moment. It's a sex film being shown in Greenwich Odeon. 3D sex film. And the reason why it's not considered porn is because it has a storyline. I'm serious. That's where the world is going. So if they're going to start putting it into regular Odeons, the floodgates in my mind are just going to be open. And you can see how, oh, it's 3D. It's going to be all right. 3D? <laughs> you know, these things are anti-God and they are anti-Christ. And they should not be even named amongst us. There should be things which we're not associated with. When people start talking about these things, we should gun it down. No. It's not right living. That's not how you should be going on. I don't care if you believe in God or not. It's wrong. We should be setting some type of a standard. And you know, I'm going to try and bring it home a little bit closer now. You know, in terms of fornication, in terms of sexual sin, if you have a problem in that area, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, that's what I've got for you right now. Because God says, I've got a provision for you. I've made a provision. If you're having problems in this area, I've got the provision. And many of you know it. He says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them what? For it is better to marry than to burn. Burn with what? It's better to marry than to burn with passion, which you know is going to send you to hell. To burn with lust, which is going to send you to the same place. However you want to mix it up, to to burn with heat, you're on heat. It's going to send you to hell. And you know what? He's talking to believers. And you know, God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So, you know, whatever we may be doing in secret, Again, don't get it twisted because God sees everything. He knows. So you may be fooling the person next to you, but you're not fooling God. And so, I believe it's, Paul is just taking his thing so serious that, you know, he shows us the consequences in verse 5. But we're not going to get to there just yet. Because it's not just fornication he's talking about. Which is sexual sin, but he says all and all uncleanness or covetousness. Uncleanness here is is the, a Greek word which describes a body which is going through the process of decay. It's a rotten, dead body which is full of maggots. And basically, all these things which he's going to list have a sexual connotation to it. And he says, those people who, it's all uncleanness, it's nasty. And that's how God views it. It's like you're acting as if you're a rotten, dead, decaying, maggot-filled body. Or covetousness. Covetousness. Now, for you Bible scholars, you know, hopefully, maybe it sent your mind to Exodus. And Exodus 20 verse 17 says, And thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. Again, it has an association with coveting something which is not yours. Sexual connotation. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or that film star or that pop star or your ex-partner because somewhere in your heart you just haven't got over them just yet you better get over them 
You know, that mental desiring for something, as I said, which is not yours. Because you have not gone before the altar and said vows and come into covenant with that person. So don't be thinking about that person in that way. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. That's what Paul says. Because this is not the behavior of a genuine believer who names the name of Christ. You see, those who love the Lord, you know, again, they will be pursuing holiness and righteousness. But Paul doesn't even stop there. He doesn't even stop. You could have stopped there, Pete. Paul, you could have stopped there. We would have been good. I got it. I hear you. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. You see, again, filthiness, it describes sexual obscenities or anything shameful, which, again, does not, obviously does not have any association with a child of God. Foolish talking, you know, could be described as buffoonery. Which speaks of talking stupid, unintelligent, raw ways of talking. And the best way I can describe it is if you've ever been in this environment, it's like listening to the lads down the pub after they've had a few bevies. And all they were talking about, oh, look at her. Do you get the picture? All this sexual innuendo. You know, and as Paul just, he, he, he provides this list. You know, all of the elements are just ones of being self-indulgent. It's just looking at yourself. It's what I want, what gratifies me. And it's just a carnal way of thinking. And he, he balances it and he says, instead of thinking for yourself, instead of having that carnal way of thinking, instead of having that carnal thought life, you know, why don't you just put on Christ? Put on the things which the Lord wants you to put on. Walk in love and demonstrate that love by, as he says here, giving thanks. Lord, I thank you that you're taking me out of that nonsense. Lord, I thank you that I used to think that way, I used to act that way, I used to watch those things gladly, but now I'm your child. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to do those things anymore. Thank you, Lord, that you know my life has changed. Thank you that you've taken me out of that darkness. You, you show me light. Giving of thanks. You know, Israel's problem so many times in the Old Testament was that they were unthankful, ungrateful. God will take them through the Red Sea. They'll come through the Red Sea. There's water that side. There's water that side. And they go through the Red Sea on dry ground. I'll be like, wow, that's deep. They'll come up on the other side and say, we've got no water. We've, we've got no food. Oh, it was better back in Egypt. But you just had an, an army chasing you down, ready to kill you. You want to go back there now? Every time the Lord did something, oh no, we, we got the... Oh, he would provide for them and then they'll moan. He will provide for them and then they'll moan. They weren't thankful. And God wants us to be thankful even for the small things. You know, in our days, we may have 10 things which go wrong. But why, why, why major on those 10 things that went wrong? I mean, if there was one thing that went right, why not just focus on that one thing that went right? But we, we, no, we want to labor on the, oh, oh, this went wrong, and that went wrong, and oh, this happened. Why don't you just say, Lord, thank you that, you know, these things have happened. I'm going to take it in my stride. And so, the idea is, instead of taking, instead of, instead of all this self-gratification, you know, we should be giving back, 
giving back to God. God, thank you. Thank you for all you've done. And so he arrives at at verse 5. And he outlines basically the punishment of someone who who continues to practice sin. And I want to emphasize that because we all fall short. But it's for the person who who continue who practices these things. They continue in this thing. You know. Now many of you know I, I use him quite often, but David Beckham, good footballer. Bends that ball over a, over a, a, a wall into the goal. He didn't just turn up and did it. He practiced that thing there. It took hours of training. Now, I'm not saying we're practicing sin and it's hours of training. But it's those who do it continually. Because, again, that's not fruit of a believer. That's not the evidence of someone who says that there has been a change in their life. He says, it's those who continually practice these things. And he says, and, that's what, and this is why I'm saying he's, to, he's addressing believers. He says, for this you know. For this you know. I'm not telling you something you're not familiar with. This you know. That, and I'm going to add some no's in here. No fornicator. No unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And when God says no, his no is no. His no means no. No matter how much we think, oh, but, but God's a gracious God, isn't he? He's a loving and compassionate God. Yeah, he is. But he's not a, he's not a joke. In the tech, this thing for Papa, sure. I said that before. That's a puppet show. He doesn't take this thing for a puppet show. No means no. (laughs) We are children of God, citizens of His kingdom. You know, He has given us all the things. We need to know about him, to understand about him. He has given us his son, who's died for us. God's given us so much. He's given us his spirit, so that we can have the power to overcome these things. And he says, so you know what? Based on the fact that I've given you all this stuff, And you know this stuff. No one who practices these things will have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. And you see, Paul has spent three chapters... On doctrine. I need to labor this point. He spent three chapters on doctrine so that we will know. So when he now says, let no one deceive you, he's saying, you should know this stuff, you know. Someone should be able to come and deceive you now because you should know this stuff. I spent three chapters. Come on now. Three chapters. So if somebody comes and deceives you, mm, well, that's on you. And you know, as believers, let me just throw out something. Many times, we don't study the scriptures for ourselves. We just wait for someone to to stand behind a pulpit and deliver it to us. You don't study it for yourselves. We don't study it for ourselves. And so when somebody comes and deceives us now, we're like, yeah, we take it. Because we're not studying the things for ourselves. The scripture says, study to show yourselves approved. A workman unto God who needs not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of God. Rightly. So I look at this and I think, well, 
three chapters you've been explaining and now if you're deceived mm, it's because you're not applying yourself as a believer you're not taking hold of what all the provision God has made for you you know I shared it a couple of weeks ago but we should know the truth and the truth shall so when when we know the truth and somebody comes with something that doesn't smell like, we're like, mm-mm, that doesn't smell right. That's not right, no. That's not, that's not lining up with my word. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And, you know, we can deceive ourselves. We can know the truth and the truth will set us free or we will know the truth and the truth will condemn us. And that's scary. And another aspect of letting no one deceive us, you know, another aspect is, is and it falls on us again as, as believers, is it, it's when we as believers, we don't really tell people the truth. We, we, we can't live in this politically correct society where, where you know, people are cohabit, cohabiting with each other and we say, oh yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's like, you're going to get married soon, isn't it? Well, God's word don't really say that. We should abstain from all appearances of sin. You know, we, we don't really take it there with people and say, you know what, God's, God's, God's got a line here. He's got a line. And we shouldn't really go over that line. But because we don't offend people and da 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 we don't really speak the truth. And so we're guilty of that. That's, that's empty words as well. Because it's not telling the whole truth. And so we have to be careful that, you know, we're not deceiving others. And then he carries on by saying, and because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, when I hear about the wrath of God coming, I'm thinking, well, that's not good. I mean, I don't know how to expand on that anymore. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Just know that's not a good place to be in. You don't want to be there. That's not where you want to be. Because one day, God's going to pour out his wrath. And as we know as believers, you know, there's no middle ground in there. It's one side or the other. You're either in God's camp or you're in the enemy's camp. And so he says, therefore, knowing these things, you still with me? Knowing these things, do not be partakers with them. And that's a challenging word. Do not be partakers with them. Those who act in that way. Those who conduct their, their, them, themselves in that way. Now, it's not saying don't have any association with, with people in the world, because we have to. But he's just saying, don't get involved in that stuff at all. And if we, if we even know of brothers or sisters who are conducting themselves in that way, you know, it's a hard word. But Book of Corinthians says that we, we shouldn't even go and fellowship with them, eat a meal with them. Because they profess to be one thing, but their actions are demonstrating the complete opposite. And there should be that line drawn. And that's a difficult thing to do in practice. And every situation and every circumstance is going to be different, but in every scenario. So, and that's something we all have to pray, with, pray about if we know those things are happening. But do not be partakers with them. Why? He's going to qualify it again. For you were, past tense, darkness. Not you were in darkness. He doesn't put in in there. You were once darkness. But now, and I love God's but now. But now you are light. You were dark, 
But now you're light. Who's made you light? Jesus has made me light. Who can make me perfect? Jesus can make me. Because I'm perfect in him. Who can make you righteous? Jesus can make me righteous because I'm the righteous son of God of Christ Jesus. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's a hard word. But it's your word nonetheless. And um, Lord, your word is profitable for so many things, Lord. And we thank you that, you know, it goes to the core and the heart of the matter. And so I pray, Lord, that you continue just to let these things resonate within our hearts and minds. That, Lord, we can study these things individually, individually, Lord, to see if these things are so. And that... um, you, be, you would enable us, Lord, to use them, Lord, to, to bring life and to bring light to others. So um, we thank you again for today. We commit the rest of this day into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen.